Heavenly Father, we bow our heads in supplications and thanksgiving, knowing, Father, that we can always lean on you and trust you. We know, Father, that you care about our anxieties. You care about the troubles we go through in this life and that you will hear our prayers, Father, when we humble, humble ourselves before you. We give you praise, Father, for your word that has so much information that can help us become more like Jesus when we apply it to our lives. Bless us, Father, in this Bible study. Bless your people, Father, as they try to serve you across the globe. We pray for the sick, the shut-ins, the grieving, all of those who are in need uh, of our prayers and encouragement at this time, Father. We ask you to please be with them. Be with us, Father. Continue to guide us. Continue to have mercy towards us and patience. We're so thankful for the blood of your son that saves us. In Jesus' name, amen. I would like to begin this study this morning by asking you a question. And the question is, would you hire a preacher or would you be okay with an eldership hiring a preacher who had a bad reputation? Would you hire a preacher who had a bad reputation among brethren? Would you hire a preacher who had spent several years in jail? Would you hire a preacher who was viewed by many people as a troublemaker and he even spent a long period of time in his life trying to destroy the Lord's church? Would you hire a preacher like that? Well, if you wouldn't, if you would not hire a preacher who has spent years in jail and who for a time had a bad reputation and even tried to destroy the church, then guess what? You, you would not have hired the Apostle Paul. You would not have hired one of the greatest preachers in the history of the world. The Apostle Paul, he had all of those things describe him for a time in his life. You see, with the obvious exception being the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I submit to you, brothers and sisters, that there is probably no more significant character that we can study in the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a very significant New Testament character. I say that because much of the book of Acts, the book we're reading, or that we're going to be reading very soon in our Bible reading, much of the book of Acts is about the Apostle Paul. About half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. Many of the local churches that we can read about in the Bible, they were established by the Apostle Paul. The church at Corinth was planted by the Apostle Paul. The church at Thessalonica, the church at Ephesus. Many of these churches that we can read about in our New Testament, they were planted by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a critical 
character. He's a critical part of the Bible story. He is a critical part to the book of Acts. He is certainly on the Mount Rushmore of Bible characters. And because that is so, I would like for us to spend the next few weeks, particularly the month of August, studying his story. Beginning today and going through the month of August, I would like for us to embark on a 10-part series entitled Paul's Preaching. I want us to study Paul's preaching. This series will obviously, in this series, we're obviously going to consider Paul's teaching, Paul's preaching, Paul's ministry, but in addition to talking about the Apostle Paul's preaching, we're also going to talk about his life. We're going to talk about his character. We're going to talk about his background, his zeal, his conversion, his preaching journeys, his persecutions, his imprisonments, his contributions to the New Testament canon. Throughout the month of August, I would like for us to study us in a series called Paul's Preaching. And let's just begin this series by first considering Paul's backstory. Will you consider with me Paul's backstory? You see, before he was known as the great Apostle Paul, we need to understand that for much of his life, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. I want to tell you some things about Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the great Apostle Paul. First, I want us to understand that Saul of Tarsus was born a Jew in Tarsus of Cilicia. He was a Jew, but he wasn't born in Jerusalem. He didn't live in Jerusalem. Instead, he lived in Tarsus of Cilicia. I have Tarsus of Cilicia circled on the map right here. This right here is a map of how the world would have looked during the time of the Apostle Paul, during the time of the Roman Empire. Notice how Tarsus of Cilicia is north of Jerusalem. Uh, it is north of Caesarea Maritima. It is in the area of Cilicia. Do you see it there? That's where Paul was from. He was from Tarsus of Cilicia. But even though he wasn't from Jerusalem, he didn't grow up in Jerusalem. Another thing we need to understand about Saul of Tarsus was he was brought up at the feet of a man named Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Someone says, who is Gamaliel? Well, Gamaliel at this time, in the time of the Apostle Paul, was a well-known teacher of Judaism. Many have even described his school as like the Harvard for, for Judaism. If you, were, if you were mentored by Gamaliel, if you were taught by Gamaliel, then you were taught by someone who was an expert in Judaism. He was a Pharisee. He was someone who knew the law very well. He was a skilled scholar of the law. He, he's actually mentioned 
in Acts chapter 5. I want you to go in your Bible to Acts 5, and I hope you got your Bible with you because we're going to be looking at several passages in the Bible. And so get your Bible out. I want you to follow me here. I'm in Acts chapter 5. I want to show you some in verse number 33. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation of the Bible. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 33, here in the context of this chapter, the apostles have been arrested by the Jewish council. They have been threatened. They have been told, don't preach anymore about Jesus. Don't preach anymore about the resurrection of Jesus. But in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29, Peter responded to that. Peter and the apostles answered their threats by saying, we must obey God rather than men. In other words, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus Christ. We're not going to stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not going to stop talking about the fact that salvation is found in this man who was crucified in the city of Jerusalem. The apostles have been arrested by the Jewish council and threatened at this time. And Gamaliel is part of this council. And listen to what he says in response to the apostles saying, we must obey God rather than men. In Acts chapter 5 and verse number 33, it says that when they heard this, talking about the Jewish council, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. They wanted to kill the apostles, to silence them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, notice, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people. Notice this man is a respected teacher of God's word. He's a Pharisee. He stood up in the council and gave orders to the men outside for, to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed, and they came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He, too, perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it would be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them or else you may be found fighting against God. Notice here how Gamaliel, Gamaliel, even though he wasn't a Christian, he gave the council some wise advice at this time. He reminded them of two instances in the past where some men led a rebellion. They drew some people after them, and it didn't go very far. Why? Because it wasn't of God. And Gamaliel's point is, if these men, the apostles, are like these previous men, then their effort will also fail. But if what they are doing is coming from God, if it's coming from the Lord, which it was, then we shouldn't fight against them. Otherwise, we're going to be fighting against God. And that's exactly what they were doing at this time, fighting against God and that's why their effort to stop them failed. That's why the gospel prospered, and it continues to prosper to this day because you cannot stop the will of God. Gamaliel was someone who understood that. He was a skilled teacher of the law, a Pharisee, and Saul of Tarsus was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. In fact, not only was, 
was Saul of Tarsus brought up at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee. But Saul also tells us, or Paul also tells us, that he himself was a Pharisee. That's right. Did you know that? Did you know that before he became a Christian and an apostle, Paul, who was at one time Saul of Tarsus, he was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. You see, the Pharisees, the Pharisees were a prominent Jewish sect in the first century. We don't read about them in the Old Testament. Search your Bible from Genesis to Malachi. You'll never, you'll never hear anything about a Pharisee or the Pharisees. This Jewish sect seemed to have come into existence at some time during uh, the time between the Testaments, the time between Malachi and Matthew, that 400 years that 400 years between the Testaments is when the Pharisees seem to have come into existence. The Pharisees were a group of people who, when you read the Gospels, many of them persecuted Jesus. They did not like Jesus. They viewed Jesus as a threat. Many of them refused to accept him as the Messiah. Now, not all of the Pharisees were this way, but the majority of them were. The majority of the Pharisees persecuted Jesus. They took pleasure in seeing him die. In fact, they orchestrated, many of them orchestrated his death on the cross. Now, a couple of things the Pharisees are known for in history is, and we can even find this in the Bible, they seem to have been very strict in keeping the law. They seem to be very meticulous and trying to keep every aspect of the law. In fact, they seem to have even gone too far with this because in their efforts to make sure their conscience was clean and keep every aspect of the law, they came up with these traditions. They came up with these traditions about the Sabbath day and about washing hands, which was nothing wrong within itself, but the problem was Jesus often condemned these men for binding their man-made traditions as authoritative, as equal or even above the law of God. In fact, Jesus also condemned these men because while they tried to keep the, every aspect of the law, even the smallest matters of the law, in the process, they, they neglected the weightier matters, things like mercy and and love and faithfulness. Jesus said they should have kept those things as well as everything else they were doing. The Pharisees, they were known for being very strict and keeping the law. We would refer to them as conservatives. Another thing that was interesting about them, or that is interesting about them, is unlike another Jewish sect called the Sadducees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, and so the Sadducees and the Pharisees were always at odds with one another because of the resurrection. This is something that Paul will use to his advantage later on in the book of Acts when he's arrested, falsely accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple, and he's brought before the Jewish council. And so Saul of Tarsus was a Pharisee. He was part of this very a strict Jewish sect when it came to keeping the law. He believed in the resurrection. He was part of a group of people uh, that, that persecuted Jesus. Saul of Tarsus also was from the tribe of Benjamin. 
he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Being from the tribe of Benjamin meant that Saul or Paul, he was an authentic Jew. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as he refers to himself several times in the book of Acts. He was a true physical descendant of Abraham. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. Can you think of anyone else in the Bible that we can read about who also came from the tribe of Benjamin? If you remember King Saul, the first king of Israel, he also came from, from the tribe of Benjamin. You see, the tribe of Benjamin was the smallest. It was the smallest of the 12 tribes, the least prominent of the 12 tribes. In fact, when you read the book of Judges, you see that during a time of civil war in Israel, the tribe of Benjamin also got, almost got exterminated. It is really remarkable how King Saul, the first king of Israel, came from a tribe that was the least significant among Israel. He came from a tribe that almost got wiped out during the time of the judges. King Saul came from Benjamin, and so did Paul. So did Saul of Tarsus. He came from the tribe of Benjamin, but probably the most well-known thing about him, especially the most well-known when it comes to Christians, is Saul of Tarsus was a persecutor of the church. He was someone who tried to destroy the Lord's kingdom or the Lord's church. I want to show you several verses in the book of Acts and in other places in the New Testament where Paul, the apostle Paul, who Saul of Tarsus, Paul really talks about this a lot when he recounts his conversion story. Throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about uh, how he came to the Lord. He doesn't shy away from talking about his life before he became a Christian. That was something that was heavy on his heart. That was something that he wanted to testify about constantly. That was something that, that really kind of haunted him and weighed him down, even during the time when he was an apostle. And so let's go to Acts 22. Go in your Bible to Acts 22. I want you to notice what Paul says here when appearing before the Jewish council. This is after Paul was arrested by the Jews in Jerusalem. And in Acts 22 and in verse number 3, listen to what he says. Acts 22 and verse 3. I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. I persecuted this way talking about the way of Christ. I persecuted this way to death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. He's talking about Christians there. As also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify from them, I also received letters to the brethren and started all for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. Go to Acts 26 now. Acts 26. Acts 26, look at what Paul says as he recounts his life before he became a Christian to King Agrippa. Here at this time, Paul is in Caesarea Maritima. He's in prison, waiting to get sent to Rome as he appeals his case. And in Acts 26, in verse number 4, he said to Agrippa, 
So then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. There he's referring to what happened to Stephen in Acts 7. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being fiercely enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. I want you to go now to the book of Galatians. Listen to what Paul said to the Galatian brethren, the brethren in Galatia. Galatians chapter 1, look at verse 11. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. He says, For I would have you to know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and try to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Go to Philippians now. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, listen to what he says in verse 5. Philippians 3 and verse 5, he says, Circumcised the eighth day. He was circumcised the eighth day, as the law required. Of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. One more place, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what he says to his friend Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, look at verse 12. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Verse 13, even though I was formerly a, bl a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief. Do you see all of this? Do you see how everything I've said so far was said by Paul himself throughout the, throughout the gospel? Throughout the gospel, Paul talks about his life when he was Saul of Tarsus. He says that he was a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia. He says that he was brought up by a well-known teacher of Judaism named Gamaliel, he says that he was part of the strictest Jewish sect, the Pharisees. He was a Pharisee. He says that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, meaning that he was a, a Hebrew to the highest degree. He came from the tribe of Benjamin. He could trace back his lineage. He says that he was so zealous for Judaism, he was so zealous for keeping the law of Moses, that he even persecuted the church. 
He even tried to destroy the church. He even tried to stomp out the church because he viewed them as a false way to heaven. He viewed them as deceivers. He viewed their, the preachers of Christianity as false teachers. He wanted to exterminate that religion. He did not want to accept it. He persecuted God's people. That's who Paul was when he was Saul of Tarsus. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, you see that we are first introduced to Saul of Tarsus, and these are all the verses I just read on the slide here. Uh, they're also on the outline. Make sure you get a copy of, of the outline. The outline has questions for you to answer as we go through these studies, okay? But after uh, we see how Paul recounts his life as Saul of Tarsus, I think it is important how we point out that we're actually introduced to him as early as Acts chapter 7. Will you go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, please? Go back to Acts. And Acts 7 is one of the longer chapters in Acts. It is actually 60 verses, and we're not going to read all 60 of those verses in this video, but I do want to point out a few things going on in Acts 7 that I think are significant. We are introduced to Saul of Tarsus here in Acts chapter 7. If you remember, Acts 7 is the chapter that talks of, uh, that gives us uh, an account or a summary of Stephen's famous sermon. You remember who Stephen was. Remember, Stephen is actually introduced to us back in Acts chapter 6. At Acts 6, we see that when it came to the church in Jerusalem, they had a problem that popped up among them, and the problem had to do with widows. The, the Hebrew widows uh, perceived to have been receiving more favorable treatment when it came to benevolence over the Hellenistic widows. The Hellenistic widows were those Hebrew or Jewish widows in the church who had taken on the Greek culture. So the Jerusalem church had a problem. There was a perception that some favoritism was being shown among the Hebrews. The authentic Hebrew widows who had been converted seemed to have been getting more favorable treatment as far as benevolence goes over the Hellenistic widows. That was a problem, so the apostles instructed the church to appoint seven men to take care of this issue, seven men to make sure that all of the widows were being taken care of equally. Stephen was one of the seven men who was appointed to, to do this work. These seven men were probably the first deacons in the church. If they were not deacons, they certainly were doing the work of deacons. I tend to lean towards that these were the first deacons in the church. Stephen was not only a deacon, he not only was someone who was over this work of taking care of the widows, but he was also a preacher. He was also someone who boldly preached about Jesus Christ in fact, in Acts chapter 7, and really towards the end of Acts 6, we find Stephen being forced onto the red carpet by the Jewish Sanhedrin council to give an account for his preaching. They want him to give an account for this message that he's preaching about Jesus. And as I said earlier, Acts 7 is a summary of Stephen's sermon. You see, in Acts 7, 
And I really hope you, you, you slow down and really pay attention to this sermon when you get to it in the Bible reading, for those of you who are members of the Monte Vista Church. Stephen's sermon, while it is a long sermon recorded in the Bible, it's a pretty simple sermon to figure out. It's not difficult. You see, what Stephen does when he stands before the Jewish council is he gives them a history lesson. He gives them a history of the nation of Israel. He talks about how throughout Israel's history, they had a habit or a pattern for rejecting God's messengers. He talks about how they rejected Moses in the wilderness. And he talks about how they rejected the prophets. They rejected Isaiah. They rejected Jeremiah. They rejected Malachi and Hosea and Ezekiel. And they even rejected God's chief messenger or spokesman, who was Jesus Christ. The point of Stephen's sermon is to remind Israel of their history. He's saying to them that what you people are doing right now is exactly what your ancestors have always done. They've always, throughout their history, since almost the beginning of their history, they've always rejected God's messengers. They rejected Moses. That's why they didn't make it to the promised land when they were supposed to. They rejected the prophets. That's why they went into captivity. And now they've rejected Jesus. They've rejected the Son of God. This nation had a history for rejecting God's spokesmen. And Stephen is reminding them of that. He's reminding them of their hard hearts. He's reminding them of how they constantly close their ears to God's spokesman, even God's chief spokesman, Jesus Christ. That's what Stephen's sermon is all about. And when you understand that, then when you get to Acts 7 and verse 54, it makes a lot of sense how they respond to that. In Acts 7 and verse 54, they continue with this pattern. It says, so when they heard this, when they heard Stephen's hard sermon about their hard hearts and their history of rejecting God's spokesman, they were cut to the quick. And they began gnashing their teeth at him, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It is interesting how this is the only time in the Bible where we can read about Jesus not sitting at the right hand of God, but he's standing at the right hand of God. His servant being persecuted and about to be killed, that was something that, that, that he really took notice of. We see that with Jesus. And when Stephen saw this, he said to the council, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and notice they covered their ears. They're doing it again. And they rushed at him with one impulse when they had driven him out of the city. That's what they did with Jesus, remember? They drove Jesus out of the city, killed him outside the city. They're doing that with Stephen. They began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of the young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Notice how we find another similarity between the death of Stephen and Jesus. Not only is Stephen taken out of the city to be killed, but like Jesus, while being killed, he prays for his enemies. He says, God... Don't hold this against them. 
Now, what I really want you to notice here is where Saul is in all of this. Notice Saul's part in the death of Stephen. Do you see it? Notice how as Stephen is being killed, the scripture says that Saul was there. He was present. In fact, he watched the coats of those who stoned him. He watched the coats of those who stoned Stephen. The implication of that is Saul consented to Stephen's death. He took pleasure in Stephen's death. He was in agreement with them killing this disciple of Jesus. This is when we're first introduced to Saul, when he is consenting to the death of Stephen. In fact, the death of Stephen here would actually begin a great persecution against the church. Stephen is the first Christian, the first disciple that is killed in the book of Acts, and his death would actually be the starting point for a great persecution led by Saul against the Lord's church. That's Acts 8, verses 1 through 4. Look at Acts 8 and verse 1. Still in the context of Stephen being stoned, it says Saul, Saul of Tarsus, was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they, the Christians, were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He put them in prison. Notice here how we find Saul. We find Saul after Stephen is put to death. We find him getting so zealous about what has, had taken place that he begins a great persecution against the church. Go back and notice a few key things in those four verses of Acts 8 that we read. First, notice how verse 1 says that when it came to Stephen, he was in hearty agreement with what happened to Stephen. He, he consented to that. He took pleasure in seeing Stephen stoned because he preached the gospel. He was in such agreement with that that he used that moment as an opportunity to begin a great persecution against the church. He uses Stephen's death as an opportunity to, to try to destroy the Christian movement. He tries to destroy the church. In fact, he persecutes the church so severely that the Christians in Jerusalem, they are forced to leave Jerusalem. They are forced to leave their homes, leave their property. Leave their families and get out of the city. They had to scatter all over the place. They even, they even had to go to Samaria. The only ones who seemed to have had the courage to stay in Jerusalem were the apostles. Everybody else had to leave. That's how severe this persecution was that was led by Saul of Tarsus. I, I got to tell you, though, I really like verse 4 of the text, how even though Saul is persecuting the church, God is actually using his evil actions for good. God is actually using Saul's actions as an opportunity for his Christians to spread the gospel throughout the world. Now they're going to spread the gospel to the people in Samaria. Samaria. Now they're going to spread the gospel to people outside of Jerusalem. That was what Jesus wanted all along. He used Saul's evil to accomplish that good. Now when you really consider what's going on here, 
you learn some things about Saul's character at this time, or his attitude, I should say. You see that Saul was not only a religious person, but he was also a very zealous religious person. He was a very zealous Jew. He was very zealous when it came to the law of Moses. That zeal for his religion was part of his personality. That was part of his attitude. And that, brothers and sisters, is why I believe Jesus picked him to do the work that he did. I believe what you see here in his attitude is probably the key reason why he was selected by Jesus. You see, we got to understand that when it comes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord knows us all better than we know ourselves. He knows our character. He knows our personality. He knows our attitudes. He knows our hearts. In the case of Saul of Tarsus, Jesus knew that if this man just got introduced to the truth, he would have an honest heart and he would change and he would be just as zealous about Christianity as he was about Judaism. He just needed to be pointed in the right direction. Jesus knew that when this man got a hold of something, he was going to do it with all his might. He was going to go 150 miles an hour. He just needed to be pointed in the right direction. He had a lot of zeal, but his zeal was going towards error. He needed to get towards the truth. And Jesus navigated him to the truth, and Saul kept that same zeal for the religion of Christianity. So what I just want you to see, what I just want you to see as we, as we embark on this, on this journey together is Saul's conversion. When you understand his backstory, his conversion may not just be the most radical case of conversion in the book of Acts, but it may be the most radical case of conversion in the history of the world. When you consider how this man was a Pharisee. He was part of a group of people who rejected Jesus for the most part. And he was zealous, very zealous for the law of Moses. And he was so zealous that he actually tried to destroy the church. He actually went into the homes of Christians, drug them out of their homes and bound them up and put them in jail. He did that and took pleasure in doing it. He took pleasure in locking up Christians. He took pleasure and seeing Stephen stoned to death, when you understand how hostile this man was towards Christianity, it is incredible to see what he would later become. It is incredible to see that this man, this man, would actually become not just a preacher and a Christian and an apostle, but he would become one of the greatest preachers in the history of the world. He would be the, the chief instrument Jesus used to spread the gospel to Gentiles. This man, who for a time tried to destroy the church, his conversion is truly amazing. I mean, if Jesus could convert this man, if the gospel could convert this man, it can convert anybody. All of Tarsus, from what we've seen so far, he's hostile towards Christianity. 
but he's going to be converted very soon. And in our next video, we're going to talk about his conversion. Make sure you get a copy of the outline ahead of time before these studies. Print them out. Follow along with me and answer the questions as we go through the video. Follow in the Bible with me. I really appreciate you studying with me. I'm excited about this series. The Apostle Paul is a great man. He's a big part of the scriptures, and I'm looking forward to learning together what the Holy Spirit tells us about his work, about his attitude, and about his contribution, contribution to the scriptures. Thank you.